0: So on Wednesday, I had this, what I thought was this perfect introduction, which I never have until usually Sunday morning, and I was like, Wednesday, I got it, I know what I'm going to do, I know how this is going to work, so excited, because that just never happens. Come Friday, after some more preparation, some more study, all of a sudden, I was like, man, that introduction does not fit, like, God had kind of gone a different direction with it, and I was like, oh, man, I I I got too cocky. Um, but we're going to see where it goes, and I'm going to hope that my lack of an introduction works as an introduction. See how I did that? Um, We're going to be in Matthew 17. Um, For those of you that that haven't been here before, uh, we've been going through Matthew for over one year now. Uh, Actually, my first sermon was just over a year ago. It was in Matthew 4, and we're in Matthew 17 now. But we've said over and over and over and over again that Jesus is teaching his disciples, teaching those that are following him, more and more about who he is. He's revealing that, that he's not just some good teacher, he's not just some good prophet, but he's, he's here revealing that he is the Son of God, that he is the promised Messiah. That just as we saw two weeks ago that Peter declared that he is the Christ. And we see that every time the disciples, every time those following him think they have him figured out, as soon as they think they know who he is, he surprises them. He he does something a little bit different. He's continually not what people are expecting, but he's so much more than that. He's better than what they're expecting, even when they don't realize it. Even Peter, Peter keeps thinking he's got him figured out. So two weeks ago, Tanner was preaching in Matthew 16, so that Peter declared that he is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It was like, yes, he is. Awesome. And Peter finally got it right. And the very next week, Peter was very, very far from getting it right. He actually was told to get behind. Jesus said, Peter, get behind me. And called him Satan. Because his, his eyes were on the world. His eyes were not on... Jesus' true mission. But Peter continually, his expectations were not on who Jesus was truly claiming to be. And I want us to kind of think for a moment this morning that is Jesus exactly who you've always expected him to be? And I would dare say no. And I think that as soon as we think we've figured Jesus out, he's probably going to show himself as more than that. Whatever we're figuring him out to be, Is it just because we, haven't, we don't have Jesus figured out doesn't mean we're not saved. It doesn't mean we, we, we haven't been given salvation. That's not at all, because we've talked about it. Peter was saved, but he still doesn't have Jesus figured out. So I'm just going to go ahead and read Matthew 17, um, verses 1 through 13, and they should be up on the screen. It says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, "'Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.'" And he was still speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So what just happened? When I, when I first saw that, that, I, that I was going to be in Matthew 17, it was like, man, like it, I, there's a lot there. There's so much. You've got Jesus and just a handful of disciples going up on the mountain. You've got two Old Testament dudes that show up. You've got Jesus being changed physically before them. And it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but what I'm going to do is just kind of like walk through this um, just kind of go kind of quickly through um, the verses then we're going to come back and talk about the one main point that I think is huge here back in Matthew ten, I actually looked up when it was that was back in August Tanner we talked about that Jesus kind of went through that who he's called is his, his disciples, the twelve disciples and he talked about those little subgroups that are broken up within the twelve and how Jesus had his inner three, Peter, James, and John, that he's taking up on the mountain. And, the, and this account is found in Mark 9 and Luke 9 as well. And Luke 9 tells us that they were going up on the mountain to pray. And what usually happened when Jesus would take his disciples up on a mountain to pray? Jesus had prayed and his disciples would Sleep, And it doesn't tell us that in Matthew, which I think is funny because Matthew being one of the disciples doesn't say that the disciples are sleeping. Mark doesn't say that, who would have been closely connected with Peter. But Luke, who did his own research, said that they were sleeping. I just think it's funny that the disciples didn't want to make a, didn't want to claim extra that they were sleeping. But, so, they went up on the mountain to pray. The disciples had fallen asleep. And Luke 9 says, when they awoke, they saw him transfigured. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't don't know much Greek at all, actually. But that that word that was used here is the same word that we use for metamorphosis. Transfigured, metamorphosis. The Greek word sounds like that, but it's what we say, metamorphosis. Basically, the caterpillar turned into the butterfly. That's basically in my non-scientific... Brain, that's the only time I use metamorphosis. Um, But they, they saw Jesus, his face was shining bright. It says, his face was shining like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. They're seeing Jesus in a way they've not seen him before. They've been with him for a couple years now, maybe. One, two years. And they've never seen Jesus like he's, like he is right now. They've never seen him in that light. They've never seen him in that way. But they're, they're seeing a picture of who Jesus is. They're seeing him in his glory, shining bright. And there's another person in the Bible who, whose face shines. Another question, I'll let you. Who else in the Bible has their face that shines? Moses, Moses, I heard it a couple different places. Moses, yes, right? Like when Moses comes down from the mountain, after being in the presence of God, getting the law, it says his face shone brightly. After he was with God in the tents, it says like when they would speak together as friends, that his face shone brightly, that they put a veil over his face because it shines so brightly. Because Moses, having been in the presence of God, his face was just reflecting this glory that he had been in. But this is, they're seeing Jesus shining bright his face, his clothes. And they were, they were getting this glimpse of who Jesus was. Like, Tanner kind of stole my thunder last week as he talked about this last verse in Matthew 16. It says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. A lot of people have had issues with this because they're like, but the disciples all died and did not see Jesus return. how, How is that true? Six days later, three of these disciples, some of them saw him in his glory as he would return. Too often people are looking The next chapter shows that some of them saw this. Some of them saw him in his glory. And then it says that he's talking with Elijah, talking with Moses. Like, where did these dudes come from? I thought I was actually really encouraged by the fact that as I read this verse, it was like, I had a big question. And as I kind of researched, a lot of people asked the same question, so it made me feel a little bit better. But how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? Like, they hadn't seen them. They probably didn't have name tags on. They would have, they would not have had a photograph. That they know, like, okay, well, that's obviously Moses. That's obviously Elijah. Uh, that's just kind of where my brain went when I read that. But I, it was very clear to them who this was. Everything, every gospel count, Mark, Luke, this is Moses and Elijah. The Spirit obviously made this very Obvious who this was. Who these guys were. Wait, well, what were they talking about? Matthew doesn't really say. But Luke does. Luke says they were talking about his departure. So they were, they were talking about Jesus and his, his upcoming death and, and resurrection and his, his ascension back to heaven. They are talking about his departure. I... I don't know what that conversation would have sounded like. I'm very intrigued to know. Like, Moses and and Elijah saying that all these things that we talked about, all all this law that I I brought to the people of Israel, all Elijah, as I called these Israelites back to repentance, all that was pointing to you, Jesus. Like, you are who all, everything that we wrote, everything... It was written in the Law and the Prophets. All of that was pointing towards you. Were they encouraging Jesus down that path? Probably. We saw that Jesus, is, Jesus in his humanity even prayed to the Father, if you can take this cup from me. But then he said, but not your will, but my will. Wait, I said that backwards. Not my will, but your will. That was a really bad one to mess up. Don't mess that one up. Whew. That didn't fluster me at all. Um, so we see this encounter with Moses, with Elijah, and I, Peter has to speak up, as you would expect. Nothing different. As we've, I love that Tanner keeps saying that. Oh, I'm a lot like Peter. Um, I'm not going to claim that. Um, it's probably true often, but. Peter speaks up, and Mark adds that he spoke up because he did not know what to say. So not knowing what to say, he said something. That's Peter. And listen to what he says. It is good that we are here. Really. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see that, like, Peter, he's seeing Jesus in his glory... He's seeing him talking to Old Testament Moses and Elijah. And his first response is, man, it's good that I'm here. Can I, I'm going to build something for you. I can do this. The fix-it male mentality. I'm told that men always jump to trying to fix things. If something's broken, I can fix it. Instead of being there in the moment, they're trying to jump to the, how do we fix it? Brenna always reminds me that often, like, don't try to fix it, just listen to me, I'm talking, and I'm already fixing everything in my head. He's trying to build these tents, and you see Peter had gone from declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God, he got something right, and then said, you see we saw last week that Peter got it really wrong, that Peter's focus was on worldly things and was kind of on his own plan and said, Jesus, no, you don't need to die. You can stay here and here. Now he's like, I'm going to build, a t- I'm going to build these, these tents for you. And so you can stay here. We can stay up on this mountain. If there's three of us. There's three of you. Sorry, iPad locked. But he he goes to what he can do. But also in doing this, he's also negating the uniqueness of Jesus because it's not saying, okay, well now we've got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and they're all this. You guys are all really important, and I'm going to build you three tents so we can stay and we can enjoy our time together. But in doing this, you just see that his perspective is so far from being aligned with what Jesus was really here to do. He wasn't Moses. He wasn't Elijah. He wasn't the same in any way. And I love that God kind of cuts him off. And, it says that, and he was still speaking. So Peter was still talking. And a vo- a bri- behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. listen to him." So cloud has always represented just the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, the cloud descended on the mountain where Moses was, and descend on the tent where Moses would speak with God. And so the presence of God and what does he say? Very similar to when Jesus was baptized. He says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. But then he adds in something extra. He says, Listen to him. Like, God is not speaking to Jesus. He's not speaking to Moses or Elijah. He's speaking to the disciples. Peter, James, and John that are there. And says, This is my beloved son. This is Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to all that he's been teaching you. Listen to what he's claiming to be. Listen to what he's claiming to offer. When he says he's going to die, listen to him. When he says he's going to return, listen to him. When he says last week to take up his cross and follow him, listen to him. Follow him. Like, not, don't, follow, don't follow Moses. Don't follow Elijah. Good people, important people had a very important role in biblical history. But that's not who he says to listen to. And then they look up and only Jesus is there. So when, the, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. You see, Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. But Jesus was still there. He was the only one there. And then Jesus, as they, um, I know I'm kind of going through this quickly, but as they're going through the mountain, that's coming down from the mountain, Jesus says, okay, what you've seen and what you've heard, don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. I can't imagine how that would have been to have experienced that and then, but don't tell anyone that. Because when, we, when we're excited about something, when we see something, when we see something crazy, our first response is, i got to tell someone. i got to post that on Facebook or however, whatever your method is of communicating. You're excited to tell people. But he says not to. But the disciples go and they have a question and say, but, but people don't think you're the Messiah because they said that Elijah must come first. And, and people are being confused by this. And I'm not, I'm not going to get too deeply into this, um, but in Malachi 4, it had been prophesied that, that Elijah would come first. I don't think I have it up there, but in Malachi 4, 5-6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. what you see is people were so locked in that Elijah was going to return in in physical form and that they were all going to see Elijah and the Jews are still waiting for this. And then the Messiah was going to come. But then Jesus says, but he already did come. Zechariah would, the father of John the Baptist, Gabriel would come and tell him, that his son was going to come in the spirit of Elijah and the hearts of fathers were going to return to their children and exactly what Malachi said, what Malachi prophesied. But the people had missed it. They were not, they were so, the Jews at that time were so caught up in in their law and their tradition, which we saw saw a couple weeks ago, they, they missed it. They missed it. And for once it says, the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That doesn't happen very often. (laughs) The disciples understood. Usually they're still not understanding. Jesus having to explain it more and more and more. He's explained the same thing numerous times about who he is. We said, going through all through Matthew, Sunday nights we read through the entire Pentateuch, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and we said that all of that, all of the Old Testament, has been pointing towards Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everyth- the law, the prophets, it's all been about Jesus. And so we saw Moses come, who was the guy in the Old Testament, was the guy that the Jews were like, he brought us the law, Moses is it. And then Elijah, who's often called the, the the greatest of the prophets. I, I don't want to negate their roles because Moses had a huge role of leading the people out of Israel. I had a huge role of bringing the Old Testament law. Elijah, obedient and w- called the people to repentance. But Jesus did not compare to that. That Jesus was better than that. That he's not just a lawgiver like Moses was, as important as role that was for Moses. He wasn't just a prophet like Elijah, he wasn't just this divinely empowered person who came and was, was teaching all these great things. But no, like he had just shown his glory. He had just shown, shown like the sun, but he had just displayed who he was, who he was before he came as a man, who he was going to be, who he was currently. At CRC here, we've often used the phrase Jesus is better. And that was kind of like what I hinged on my the first sermon, which was just over a year ago, was Jesus is better. We've had on the back of t shirts, hashtag Jesus is better. It's a Wi-Fi password a lot of places, a lot of our homes. Is Jesus is better. Just, so now you can get on Wi-Fi at a lot of our houses. But we said that Jesus is better, and, I, and that's, that's true. I, I totally agree with that. I think that you can insert whatever you want, noun, place, person. I guess those are both nouns. But whatever you want to insert. I'm not a grammar. Sorry, Tori. Uh, did not study English. Um, I did study English. But whatever it is, Jesus is better. But I don't think, I'm not saying we go change our Wi-Fi passwords and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think Jesus is better accurately describes who Jesus is. I think he's so much more than better. You see, like Moses' face shining was because he was reflecting the glory of God. Moses had been in the presence of God and was reflecting that. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, Moses' face was reflecting the glory of God. But Jesus was not. Jesus was radiating the glory that was in him. Because look at Hebrews, this is in Hebrews 1. I think I've I I got this one up here. This is Hebrews 1 3. It says, Long ago, at many, sorry, that's verse 1. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God, in the exact imprint of his nature, and and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's not reflecting. Jesus was radiating. There's a huge difference there. There's a huge difference between reflecting and radiating his own glory. I'm going to flip to Colossians one. We've read this a couple times recently. I read read these verses back Valentine's Day a year ago when I preached for the first time. It's the most romantic gift I've ever given my wife. Um, But we're going to read verse 15 through 22 because I think this describes who Jesus is so much more than I can try to do with my words. This is who Jesus is. Colossians 1, 15-22 says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Like that's Jesus. That's not someone who is better. That's not someone who is better. Since he's preeminent. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that, that Jesus, the same one says, if, says that he would humble himself, come as a servant, come as man, to do what man could not do, to save, a, to save us from our sins. He said he did, does not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he came to earth, he came as a man. I don't think that we understand this completely. I don't think we understand what it looks like for God to love that much. But you see, like what did you, Jesus just last week we saw that He said, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me." For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We read that last week. As difficult that was to hear, we talked about counting all things as rubbish because of who Jesus was. And now we see this week that he's displayed his glory. He's displayed who he really is. He's not just a man. He's not just this, this teacher that has been with the disciples for a while now, but he's so much more than that. So that these disciples who we see still broken group of guys, still are going to mess up, but they're also going to be obedient to death, almost all of them, are going to follow Jesus. They're going to pick up their cross. Because they understood the glory of who he was. They understood who they were following. They weren't just following a man. They were following God. Like I said, the the transfiguration wasn't for Jesus. This, This happened. It wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for Moses. It wasn't for Elijah. It was for the disciples. Because witnessing his glory led them to follow him. realizing who God is realizing that God that Jesus that, that he is God should lead to nothing else other than us following him that us worshiping him because of who he is these disciples had seen the glory of who he was they had walked with him they had heard him teach they had seen him do some really amazing things But now they see him in his glory. Do you picture the disciples? As soon as Jesus rises from the dead, they're all super excited. Then they're like, oh, we can say it now. Look what we saw. Let Let us tell you, this Peter, James, and John, let us tell you what we saw up on the mountain. We saw Jesus. We saw him in his glory. They knew who he was. do we worship that same way? Do we worship him because we know that, not just who he was, not just who we, who we know who he was in the Bible, but who he is. Because nothing about who he was is any different than who he is. Like, do we believe that Jesus, in being, having this glory, being God, that he is just waiting to come back? Like it's not different from any from this. Like this is why we follow him. This is why we worship him. Because he is worthy of our glory because he's not just a man. He's not just better. He's so much more than that. Everything was created for him. Everything was created through him. He came and did something we could not do. And we worship Have you ever had a conversation or been talking about something that's hard to understand in the Bible? Because there's a ton there that's hard to understand, hard, hard to interpret, all, all, all these kinds of things. Have you ever been talking with someone and say, well, we'll just ask God when we get to heaven. We'll, we'll just ask Moses when we get to heaven. We'll just ask so-and-so. I know I've made comments like that, and maybe there's going to be a time for that. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. But the response of people to the glory of Jesus, being in the presence of God, is almost always the same. They fall down and they worship. And I think that we're going to be way too consumed with worshiping to even care about these finite questions that we have right now. I don't think we're really going to care. Listen to these verses in Revelation. This is in Revelation 5. We will be in the presence of Jesus. We'll see his glory. So the 24 elders in Romans 5, we're just going to read their response. Listen to this, starting in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then the, the, it says, The myriads of angels thousands and thousands of angels in heaven. Listen to them. And says, And then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. He's like, In the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. It wasn't worrying about questions. It wasn't worrying about all these things. It was worship, because they realized that it's God who is glorious and worthy of our praise. That was was their response. And that should be our response. Because Jesus here in Matthew has shown himself, he's shown his glory. He's shown, this is who I am. I know it's not what you expected, It's not what you expected to see, but this is who I am. And that's who he is. I just want us to see this. That just because he's not what we expect, he's so much more than that. He's so much more than just better. But Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy to be worshiped. I I think this deserves a response. Like, this, and that response is going to look different as we we worship. If you're worshiping in song, singing with your hands held high, great. If you're responding in prayer, down on your knees, great. If you want to dance, dance. Like, I don't care how you respond, but I think who Jesus is deserves a response. Like, if you believe that, and there's no response, it looks different for every single person. But I think who Jesus is deserves a response. But if this is not something you believe. Like, come talk to somebody. Come talk to me. Come talk to Dale. Come talk to Tanner. Come talk to anybody, and let's talk about who Jesus is. Because that should be something we're excited to talk about. Because of who Jesus is, we worship. We take up our cross. The disciples got it. They saw his glory. They saw who he was. They believed who he was. And they worshiped. They they followed him. They were willing to die. Let's respond.